we're reading from Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. And there are no Bibles in front of you, so if you want to find it on your device, or if you brought your own Bible, it can be found on page 1002. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them with one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed. They asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Good morning from me. Uh, For our guests, my name's Andrew. It is great to have you here at St Matthew's, especially as we're opening the Bible together. Uh, Some of you might have been to Capernaum, uh, the place where Jesus got so much done in one day. Uh, You might have seen these ruins, there you go, of an ancient synagogue in Capernaum, just on the the northern shore of uh, the Lake of Galilee. Um, when I say they're ancient, they were probably built about three or four hundred years after Jesus, but they're built on top of the remains of another synagogue, uh, which was very like there, likely there when, when Jesus was there. Not sure that's the exact one that he was at, um, but, but even just seeing that image has got me thinking about what it was like to be there. And for whatever reason, I've been thinking about what it was like to be a kid and to be there. And it's got me thinking about what it was like for me to go to church with my mum when I was a kid. And it worked out quite well when we had the equivalent of kids' church during primary school. But it was a bit harder for me when I got to high school because we just went to church. And I don't remember a lot about it because it was really so, for me, so unremarkable. And actually so often so dull. Um, I I didn't mind going because I knew that my mum liked me being there and that... That made it worthwhile, but when I got the chance to not go, uh, I decided not to go. Uh, I wonder what it was like for the kids, though. What, what, would, what would one kid have told another kid about what it was like when the other kid wasn't there? How would you explain what had happened? Maybe you might say something like, I was just over halfway through counting the bricks at the wall at the front again, 
And then this traveling teacher stands up and he, he starts speaking almost as if he's just speaking to me, as if he knows me. And he's talking about God like as if he knows him personally. And he's talking about heaven like he's actually been there. And I'm just listening. And then this guy starts yelling. And he says, what have you got to do with us? I I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? And then the teacher just said to him, be quiet. Come out of him. And this guy shakes all over, and then he's just normal. I mean, it must have been amazing to be there, for everyone that was there and witnessed what took place. Now, we're we're just at the beginning of Mark's account of the life of Jesus. It is the story that changes everything. We're already seeing this in the opening verses. Um, Right in the very first line, do you remember what Mark says? He says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he begins to tell the story. And he goes back a little bit to the way in which the cousin of Jesus, the prophet John the Baptist, prepares people for the coming of Jesus and the kingdom that he brings. And uh, then, then he shows us God himself speaking from heaven, God the Father saying of Jesus, this is my Son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. And the Father sends on the Son the Holy Spirit to equip him for the work that he will do in the world. And then Jesus, as we saw last week, begins to teach and he begins to call his first followers. It's in the middle of nowhere, but this is going to be very significant, even just with the four that he's called. Today we get to focus on just one day, now that Jesus goes public. Uh, in Capernaum, in two different locations. Uh, Early in the day on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, later in the day, at the home of the mother-in-law of one of the disciples. First he's called Simon, a bit later he's renamed by Jesus Peter. Now in both places, people are astonished by what they see. They're just amazed by what they see. So I'm I'm hoping that, that with this unprecedented display of authority there in the synagogue and in the home, I'm hoping by the end of this talk you too will be astonished that such a thing could take place in our world. But more than that, I hope you recognise in Jesus someone who can help you, can help meet your deepest needs, even needs about which you may be unaware. And that you realise Jesus, whose story we're just beginning to hear, is someone that you could entrust your life to and your eternal destiny to. So let's have a look in turn at what what happens in the synagogue, just briefly, and then in the home. And then there's a, a major reflection I think I need to share with you today so that we don't miss the significance of what's, what's, what's taking place here and especially the relevance to us. But firstly, in the synagogue, did you notice that as Susan read for us, twice people remark on the authority of this travelling teacher who's turned up in Capernaum. He speaks like no one else they've ever heard before. Uh, So in verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the people they were familiar with, with the teachers of the law. 
Something about Jesus means you start listening and you realise he's in a class of his own. He's, he, he's a one-off. What he brings is new. And, and it's not just because he's interesting, although he is riveting, uh, as we'll, we'll see the more we hear him. Not because he's clever, although he, he, he is amazingly clever. The thing that they notice first is his authority. He says things and they are true. He speaks about God and it's true. He doesn't have to refer to anybody else. He just carries that kind of authority. He speaks about the world we live in and it's piercingly true. He speaks about us and it's like he sees right inside us. But there's something more that we see happen in the synagogue, something else that is new. He has an authority that extends even over the realm of evil. Even over the realm of evil. So in verse uh, 27, it says the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. So that all happens in the synagogue in the morning. Later in the day, at the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, we see some other stuff happening. Now, we'll show another image here. This is also in Capernaum. Some of you might have seen this. Uh, I read an article about this site uh, on the, um, from the Journal of Biblical Archaeology. They reckon this could even possibly be the, the, the site of the home of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, most of what you can see, that, that sort of octagonal-shaped uh, structure there, is actually a church that was built much later by the Byzantines. But again, underneath, there are the remains of a home. It's certainly a first century home. Certainly the kind of home uh, that Simon Peter's mother-in-law would have lived in that Jesus went to. Now, whether or not it was this site or another is, is immaterial, except just, just to recognise that there was a real place that he went to. This is, this is real history that we're talking about. Now, when Jesus gets there, as we heard, uh, the mother-in-law is, is too unwell to serve her guests now, that must have been very distressing for her. And uh, Mark tells us how he simply takes her by the hand and she's on her feet and the fever has gone. And so she's well able to look after people who've come to her home. So it says in verse 31, the fever left her and she began to wait on them. But what Jesus had done early in the morning, earlier in the day, sorry, for, for one man, what he had done for her... He does for dozens and dozens and dozens of people. I mean, you could imagine this happening, can't you? It's not hard. If a demon was really cast out of a bloke and other people here, they want to come and see and benefit. If someone is made completely well just by the touch of a hand, people are going to be lining up and that's what Mark describes. He in fact says, the whole town came up. The whole town was there. There was a great crowd. And... And it says, verse 34, Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. So what we've got here is a vast extent and variety of afflictions that are brought to Jesus and one by one he deals with them. So I can picture someone actually being carried because they haven't been able to walk and walking away as a result of Jesus healing them. 
of someone coming with a really contorted expression on their faith, on their face because they're so stressed or distressed and they walk away, their, their, um, their configuration of their face is just completely different. What a wonderful thing that Jesus did. I mean, later on in, in the gospel, Mark describes not only people with a fever, someone with a skin disease, another with a disfigured body part, uh, another person hemorrhaging blood, a deaf and dumb person, uh, a couple of blind people, uh, someone who has just died. And Jesus has complete authority over every one of those afflictions. It's no wonder that people were amazed at his authority because it extends over what we might call the, the natural realm, illness, including mental illness, and supernatural things like evil spirits, which is something I'd like to say a little more on uh, today. In part because if you survey the whole Bible, you'll see a concentration of encounters with evil and with, de with demonic forces in the Gospels. And we're beginning to see this early on in Mark's Gospel and we see it again and again. It's important to address this because the increasingly dominant worldview, the, the sort of air that we breathe in Sydney in 2021, is that of Western secular materialism, which has no place for, for Satan and for demons unless it's in the world of entertainment, where you see head spinning and bright green stuff being vomited out of people's mouths, that sort of thing. You wouldn't take it seriously, though, would you? I mean, you might call your kids' footy team the demons, but believe in them. You know, goodness me, it's, it's Sydney. It's, it's 2021. See... The worldview of, of secular materialism says, unless I can see it, feel it, touch it, or measure it, it doesn't actually exist, except possibly in your mind. Western materialism says, there is no ghost in the machine. It's just a machine. It's just matter. That's all it is. That's all we are. But the world, the universe, is so much richer than that. Um, as uh, some hundreds of years ago, Shakespeare's Hamlet says, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Uh, or as a long time before Shakespeare, the Bible says in its very first chapter that God is there and his word creates matter and he breathes life into beings like us. He breathes life and dignity into us. So there, there's a creator, there's a creator and there is a real and personal being who is as real and personal as God but is implacably opposed to God. He's named the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Can you see what the Bible says? The Bible says there is far more going on in our world and in our experience than what Western materialism has room for. There really is a spiritual realm. So God is there. We are here as spiritual beings in physical bodies. We're wondrous. We're wonderfully created. And there are also unseen and evil realities. Now, if you, if you don't have room in your mind or, um, for, for this spiritual dimension or you choose to ignore it, if you don't understand it or you choose to ignore it, 
What it means is, is your grasp on the world is vastly diminished. The world is actually made smaller than it really is. It's limited to what we can see and feel and touch. So you won't really understand why some things in life are just so difficult and we don't seem to get on top of them. We're out of our depth. You won't understand either how good the good news of Jesus is. How good it is that he goes out into the desert, as we read earlier in Mark's Gospel, and for the first time, he, res he, he resists the devil and the temptation of the devil in a way in which no one else ever had before him. It is, it is great news that someone has entered our world who can not only speak directly to the evil spirit in the man in the synagogue, the spirit obeys him immediately. An immediate relief comes to the man in whom the spirited has, uh, has found a place of residence. I mean, it's great news that Jesus is able to do this again and again at the house of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. See, when it comes to dealing with the reality of evil, of Satan, of demons, evil spirits, impure spirits, uh, we are out of our depth. Um, we, that, that, they're bigger than us. They have more power than us. We're in over our heads. But in Jesus, we find someone who has complete authority over them. And certainly there seems to be an ease with which Jesus operates uh, in these early chapters of Mark. Although we'll find later in, in the gospel, uh, there is such a challenge for him as he goes to the cross. But that's much later in the story. And as we, uh, as we consider this small part of the Bible, as we consider what takes place in just one day, I want to take us back to the question that they raise in verse 27. People who are in the synagogue, they go, what is this? What is this? A new teaching and with authority. See, at that point in, in history, something unprecedented is unfolding. Something new is happening here. But strangely, I think for us today in Sydney in 2021, somehow it doesn't feel new. Uh, somehow it actually feels very old and even very distant from our experience and not very relevant to us. 2,000 years ago, it's the other side of the world. But just think for a moment about the people that were there in the synagogue or that came to the house that evening. Look at the kind of people that came. Many of them were desperate, desperate, suffering from all kinds of afflictions. And there were people with them who cared for them. They may have had to carry them there. These are people who know they're out of their depth. Now, that actually sounds pretty familiar with most of human experience. Certainly true of Sydney in 2021. It's, it's, it's true of the Northern Beaches. I mean, you, you don't have to scratch very deep, do you? In most families, to find complicated health or relational or spiritual disorder and dysfunction. Jesus entered our world, not just the world of the first century. He came amongst us. And how good is it? <laughs> that he could do the stuff that he did, that he can do the stuff that he did, that he did the stuff 
that he did as we read the rest of the story. So, so what is this? What is this? Well, I find it immensely comforting to watch, can I call it, the competence of Jesus, unequaled competence in our world, in each and every situation that he encounters. I mean, we haven't even finished the first chapter of Mark, and already we see him oozing authority wherever he goes and making a difference like nobody else ever has. See, what, what is this? Well, it's the beginning of the story that changes everything. It's the beginning of the story of the long-promised Messiah, the Son of God, who comes with the kind of authority that means he brings a new kingdom, a new way of ruling, a new realm, even within our world. Now, there is so much more to learn of his story, even in the next couple of weeks, the readings we've got set to do. What we find is that this, I've called it competence of Jesus, creates problems. <laughs> um, they create problems because he's got a much bigger capacity than we see in this one day in Capernaum. And he's got a much larger agenda than the one that we see rolling out in, uh, in the synagogue and in the home. Now you could say, what could possibly be a higher priority than bringing relief and release to people like he did in Capernaum? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. Now, if you can't wait till next Sunday, by all means, read ahead through the end of Mark 1 and into Mark 2. And you'll get a better sense of why the story of Jesus, the true story of Jesus, changes everything. Now, I reckon we've seen enough, even in just what we've seen today and over the last several weeks, to know that Jesus comes with the sort of authority into our world that brings unequal hope and a really strong personal challenge. See, he brings hope because he can make a difference for people in the here and now. He can make a difference for people who know that they're weighing over their head. He can make a difference even over things about which we are unaware, but which makes a massive difference for us. The authority of Jesus brings great hope into our world. It also brings great challenge because of his identity, because of who he's showing himself to be. So if he really is the son of God, I mean, that's, that's going to be personal, isn't it? See, it, it raises a whole bunch of questions for us. Uh, it, I mean, it, it means I can't just treat him like a, a wonderful moral teacher, although he is the sort of teacher about whom you might debate, you know, whether he gets his ethic right, what it's got to say today. I can't just write him off as a moral teacher. He's much more than that. But I can't even write him off just as, as, um, as a great doctor in the sky who can do what no other doctor or counsellor can do for me. If he's the son of God, then the question is, will I recognise his right to be over me? and over my life, and over the details of my life? Will I, will I be willing to, 
to sit with that reality in my own life, to, to learn to live with the reality that Jesus is the one who's got the right to set the direction for my life, right down to the last detail. Will I choose to listen to him? Will I, will I try and understand the bits I don't understand? Will I willingly submit to the bits I don't like? Will I willingly submit to his ways? So there's hope there and there's challenge. My hope is that, that listening to this part of the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 reminds you or even reveals to you in a way that you may not have understood that the world is much bigger than what modern Western materialism will allow. The world is much bigger than what we can see and feel and touch and measure. To, to be reminded of that or to have that revealed to you and also to recognise that Jesus is over all of that and stuff we just, we're not even aware of. I hope this part of the story reminds you or even reveals to you that the world is much bigger than what we can see and feel and touch. And I hope you realise you can trust Jesus with your life. I hope you realise that you can trust him with your eternal future. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer of thanks because it's so great that Jesus came into our world. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your plan from before the beginning of time that your son might enter our world as one of us and might so obviously show himself to be the one that you'd promised to your people before he came. We praise you that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and we praise you for his authority and for his compassion that he showed there in that day in Capernaum. And Father, we pray that you will teach us to follow him, that you'd enable us to submit to his rule in our lives, even in this week to come. We pray this in praise of your name and for the honour of Jesus. Amen.